Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, old friend. I see you're doing well. My name is Adrian Ma. Me? I'm 39. I can't complain. I live in Toronto. And right now, I'm in my bedroom closet talking to a bottle of scotch whiskey. Yes, it has been a while. What year is it? Well, it's 2023. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't normally keep whiskey amongst my socks and underwear. But this bottle is special. My Uncle George gave it to me. The last time I was in Hong Kong on a family trip, 2016... I visited him at his apartment. I hear you like whiskey, he says to me. I love whiskey, I reply. He disappears into his bedroom for a moment. When he returns, he hands me a rectangular dark wooden case. I gently open it. The case is lined with a plush red fabric, and inside sits a dusty green bottle. The label is worn, but I can make out the Glenlivet Special Jubilee Reserve age 25 years. Even if you're not a whiskey fan, you're likely familiar with the brand The Glenlivet. Because if you're not the original, you're living in the shadows of one. The Glenlivet. The Glenlivet. The Glenlivet. It's one of the oldest and most popular distillers of single malt scotch whiskey in the world. This particular bottle was from a limited edition batch, distilled in 1952. Let's just think about that for a second. The number one song in 1952 was Blue Tango by Leroy Anderson. That was the year millions tuned in to watch Richard Nixon's Checkers speech on TV. My fellow Americans, I come before you tonight as a candidate for the vice presidency. The movie Singing in the Rain was released. And on February 6th, King George VI died and his daughter Elizabeth II ascends to the throne. My beloved father broadcast a message to his people. Today, I am doing this to you, who are now my people. So that's the year this whiskey went into an oak barrel. Then, 25 years later, when the aging process is considered complete, this whiskey was bottled. It's 1977, and it's a different world. Rod Stewart spends eight weeks at the top of the charts with Tonight's the Night. The first Star Wars is released. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Elvis Presley dies at the age of 42. He was found at his home in Memphis, not breathing. And after a quarter century on the throne, Queen Elizabeth II celebrates her silver jubilee. I pledged my life to the service of our people in my salad days when I was green in judgment. I do not regret nor attract one word of it. That's the year this bottle was released and why it's dubbed the Jubilee Reserve. Basically, this bottle of whiskey had lived an entire life already. And all of this happened 
before I was born. I cradle the bottle in my hands. This looks really valuable, Uncle George. Are you sure you want to give this to me? I'll never forget his reply. I don't have a reason to open this. You should have it. After I got home from Hong Kong and unpacked, my curiosity got the better of me. I went online to see how much this bottle could be worth. My jaw dropped when I saw that bottles of the Glenlivet Jubilee Reserve were worth upwards of $3,000. Three grand! Now, I'm a whiskey guy and I have a decent collection, but this was easily 10 times more than I'd ever spent on a bottle of hooch. It's by an almost absurd measure the oldest, rarest, and most valuable whiskey in my collection, which is why it sits apart from the other bottles in the dark of my closet alongside my boxer shorts. That trip to Hong Kong was years ago, and every now and then, I'll take the bottle out and just look at it. Then I put it back. Because when it comes to what to do with a $3,000 bottle of booze, the idea of drinking it? Drinking $3,000? I've just not been able to actually do it. I wanted to ask you this question. So we've been friends for like 32 years. And I would say you have given me fantastic advice 60% of the time. (laughs) That's being generous, but thank you. (laughs) I call my buddy Matt on Zoom. We've been close friends since the third grade. He was the best man at my wedding. So he's a good person to ask. Now, if you were in my position and you had this bottle of very rare, very precious booze, would you choose to sell it, keep it, or drink it? Drink it. Absolutely. I mean, that is the point of having a whiskey is I think you need to enjoy it. It's meant to be consumed. Who would you drink this whiskey with? Now, your bottle in particular is, it has to be for like a hell of a special occasion for that sort of thing. So whether it was a wedding, first child, something like that, I think uh, one of those monumental celebrations. Now, I love that idea, except I'm already married and have not one, but two kids. So no monumental celebrations on the horizon. Another friend of mine, Jeff, says I should save the bottle for the future. My great-grandfather used to make wine. He passed away back in the 70s, but my grandfather and my dad inherited a number of bottles. And anytime we've had a major life event, whether it be a a wedding, a bris uh, for our kids, one of those bottles has always come out, and I certainly think you should be keeping it. In the end, there is only one person who insists I sell the bottle. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with you. I mean, (laughs) I can't believe you're even asking yourself this question. My producer, AC Rowe. Do you want to know how much each shot is worth? I mean, kind of, but maybe not really. Okay, what is it? $156.25. Damn. Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. This is a serious question. Mm. I feel like the Scrooge of Whiskey Land. (laughs) Keep it, sell it, or drink it. There's only one place in this world I can find the answer. Let's go to Whiskeyland. I'm Adrian Ma, and this is Storylines. Today, a whirlwind tour of whiskey. The people who make it, how to really drink it, and my quest to learn everything I can about this bottle so I can finally decide what to do with it. 
Okay, so when you're in Scotland, we don't say cheers or chin chin or salute or prost. We greet you in Gaelic. And we wish you good health. And the Gaelic words for that are slangeva. So I'm going to give it a try. Slangeva? Absolutely. You have nailed it. Well done. Thank you, my man. Pleasure. <laughs> Scotch, simply put, is whiskey made in Scotland. Well, duh. But it's important to understand. Much like how sparkling white wine can only legally be called champagne if it was produced in the Champagne region of France, the Scottish have strict provisions on what constitutes Scotch whiskey. It has to be made from only water, yeast, and cereal grains. It must be distilled, aged, and bottled within Scotland. And it has to be matured for a minimum of three years in oak wood casks. And no artificial flavoring or sweetening is permitted. All that sweetness comes from malted barley. And single malt just means the whiskey is from a single distillery. Scotland takes its whiskey seriously, and for good reason. It's a massive driver of the country's economy. Global exports of Scotch whiskey exceeded six billion pounds in 2022. The earliest documented record of distilling whiskey in Scotland goes all the way back to 1494. And the word whiskey itself derives from the Gaelic term uskabia, which loosely translates to water of life. As soon as you say, I'm from Scotland, immediately, immediately, the first thing is, ah, Scotch, what do you know about Scotch? What's your favourite Scotch? This is a Scotch I drink, is it a good one? Julie Trevinson-Hunter is marketing director of the Scotch Whiskey Experience. At her offices in Edinburgh, priceless bottles of amber liquid are locked behind glass in one of the largest collections of rare Scotch whiskies in the world. The thing that makes Scotch quite unique and so synonymous genuinely with Scotland and with the whole country is that historically it was such a rural product um, and it was a craft small-scale farm output so it was embedded within every single tiny local rural community and therefore became part of that community and um, without anybody making any effort or trying and was literally in every corner of Scotland. But the most important thing to learn about whiskey how to drink it. When it comes to Scotch whiskey, it seems like everyone has an opinion. Some people like it with ice or on the rocks. Others believe adding anything to a single malt is utter sacrilege. Well, I'm about to get a crash course in the art of tasting whiskey from a real expert. Enter Kirsty McCarrow. So I founded and run the Edinburgh Whiskey Academy. I set it up seven years ago. We meet at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society a private members club, where she walked me through her method of tasting whiskey. She told me a lot. There's five key regions, obviously space. Peaty character, highlands, lowlands. Trialing different yeast, using different barley. Original ABV of the whiskey. Volatile compound. Regions suffered a lot when the railway was built. Sensory analysis perspective. So I'm going to try and get you the crucial pointers. First things first, the drinking glass matters. The gold standard for sipping whiskey is the Glencairn. It's a small glass with a wide bowl and a tapered mouth. So it concentrates the aromas um, as they come out. Next, pour out a dram, about one fluid ounce, give or take. Look at the colour and, uh, you know, swirl it around the glass. It's always a good idea to perhaps have poured your samples a little bit in advance so that they are room temperature. If your whiskey is slightly cold, you could always warm it up in your hands a bit. So this one, to me, has like a beautiful kind of honeyed color. Yeah, lovely depth to it. So a very inviting looking dram. Next, 
get your nose in there and give it a good sniff. So now we can go ahead and nose it. And so you're just noting down the initial flavors that you notice. All right, here I go. I, I don't know what I'm talking about, so I'm just gonna throw words out. <laughs> but a kind of a citrusy almost. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Yep, citrus zesty. Yeah. Um, yep, yeah. no, no, I totally agree. Successful first nosing. Okay, starting to get the hang of this. What's next, coach? It's time to taste it. And so when you taste it, you're obviously looking for uh, the, the flavors, the mouthfeel. Um, is it very creamy? Uh, is it quite peppery, spicy? Two words you often hear associated with Scotch whiskey are smoke and peat. If something is peaty, it might taste earthy, like black licorice. Smoky? That's easy, like a bonfire. But whiskey is incredibly diverse. Some regions produce light, grassy whiskeys. Others lean into fruity, floral flavors. Shall we go for it? Yes. All right, here we go. Excuse <coughs> me. You definitely get these sort of coconut vanilla notes coming through in the end. There it is. Yeah, once you said coconut and a bit of vanilla, I, I got it. Wow. After tasting the whiskey neat, Kirsty suggests we add a splash of water to our drams. It's thought that adding water can open up certain flavors in the whiskey, and this has actually been supported by scientific research in the last few years. I'll start with a splash, just a little splash. Yeah, exactly. You can always add more. Now we repeat the process. First we look, then we nose, and then... Oh, yeah. The character has changed. And it just opens it up. It opens up the whole complexity of flavor profiles within the whiskey. We do this with a couple of other drams. Afterwards, I thank Christy and promise to apply what she's shown me. But as we gather our things to leave, she drops one more piece of whiskey wisdom. There is no right or wrong. Everyone has their ways of doing it, and that's great. You know, everyone will develop their own way that they really enjoy drinking whiskey. Put another way, when it comes to Scotch whiskey... we can look to the immortal words of the rock legend's journey. Any way you want <laughs> But I've come to this country for something specific, to see for myself where my bottle of Glenlivet was made, which means we must venture to the heart of Whiskeyland, Scotland's iconic Speyside region. We need to take a quick break. Storylines will be right back. What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. The River Spey is one of the fastest flowing rivers in the United Kingdom. Distillers have relied on this water to make whiskey for centuries. And it's a big reason why Speyside has the highest concentration of distilleries in Scotland. I'm here to meet Derek Hancock. Good to meet you, Adrian. Hi. 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 Derek is a keeper of the quake. A quake being a traditional Scottish drinking bowl. It's an exclusive designation bestowed upon individuals who have made outstanding contributions to the Scotch whiskey industry. 
So I don't consider myself merely a reporter. I, I also like to see myself as a, a bit of a cultural ambassador. Sure. So uh, in, in a gesture of, of goodwill and friendship, I would like to present to you a, uh, a bottle of Canadian whiskey. Oh, thank you very much <laughs> indeed. That's lovely. Yeah, so this is actually produced in Niagara region, which is where, yes. near where uh, I grew up. Right, lovely. I truly hope Derek enjoys my little gift. After all, Canada has its own rich tradition of making whiskey particularly rye-blended whiskeys dating back to the late 1700s. When the United States went through prohibition in the early 20th century, Canadian whiskey became the most smuggled whiskey down south, giving us some international cachet. As it stands, Canada remains one of the top whiskey producers in the world, and Canadian distillers have increasingly been winning international whiskey competitions. So I have to ask Derek, what is the actual opinion of Canadian whiskey among Scots? Um... Probably not a lot, you know, because uh, I don't think there's that much um, Canadian whiskey sold in Scotland. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to tasting it. Derek takes us to the Speyside Cooperage, where we get to see the all-important whiskey casks get repaired and recharred, all by hand using traditional tools. The casks are the wooden barrels in which the whiskeys develop their color and a significant amount of their flavor. These casks probably are... Some of these could be around 60 years old. Right. I think of my rare bottle of Glenlivet, maturing, evolving for 25 years, in a barrel that may have come from this very cooperage. As plant manager Malcolm Monroe sees it, the cooperage plays a vital role in ensuring future generations can continue to make whiskey. It's all about recycling, reusing. Yeah. As we pile back into the car, I want to find out more from Derek about some of the whiskeys he's been able to try over the years. Can you give me an estimate as to how many glasses of whiskey you've had in your lifetime? <laughs> no, I really couldn't do that. My wife might be listening. <laughs> Thank you. Um, any interest ever in trying some of this like, 100-year-old shipwreck whiskey that they find occasionally? Um, I haven't tried that, but I have tried uh, the second oldest whiskey in the world, um, which is 80-year-old Glenlivet. I have tried that. Uh, I've tried 80-year-old Mortlach. Um, the current oldest whiskey in the world is Macallan 81-year-old, which is available for sale at the moment at £92,000 per bottle. Um, but I've tasted the, the two prior to that. And can you describe what that was like? Um, very uh, concentrated flavours like uh, ginger and old wood. Um, the Mortlach was a richer, older whisky, and surprisingly, the Glenlivet was still still had a lightness about it. Very, very drinkable. Uh, and if you could even estimate how much that would cost as a serving or something, oh, I I really don't know. But I mean, we're, we're looking at hundreds of pounds hundreds of pounds per glass, yeah. Derek has been able to taste the rarest, most expensive whiskeys to have ever existed. I need to know, are more expensive whiskeys just better? How much does the value of whiskey factor into its flavor? I'm the last person who would be a whiskey snob. Um, whatever's in the glass in front of me, I'll analyze it, I'll taste it, and if I'm really enjoying it, I will praise it. And it might be £20 a bottle, it might be £2,000 a bottle. Doesn't matter. If it's well made, uh, then that's all I'm looking for. So Derek's saying a $20 glass could taste as good as a $2,000 glass. Whiskey is either well made or it's not. 
I finally arrive at my motivation for traveling to this country in the first place. The Glenlivet Distillery, one of the most iconic single malt scotch brands in the world and the birthplace of the bottle my uncle gifted me. I take a tour of the grounds with blending manager and cask expert, Kevin Baumforth. Glenlivet started you know, back in 1824. Raw materials are the same. It's still, still made with water, malted barley and yeast. There's been some technological advances. That's, you know, that's helped with improving that consistency in terms of the you know, temperatures, the, the timings and all of that. But the actual DNA of Glenlivet has stayed the same over, over all these years. The distillery is situated within the Livet Valley, a place that is breathtakingly beautiful impossibly verdant, and seemingly untouched by time. In fact, if someone were to write a novel or make a sexy TV show about, say, magic stones that send you 200 years into the past and set it here, I dare say it could be a hit. In a real way, though, what Glenlivet itself does is timeless. Despite now producing more than 6 million bottles of Scotch whiskey each year, the methods they use remain faithful to its heritage. Kevin still selects the casks, the cast, noses the casks, the cast, and tastes the whiskey himself. We don't have a machine that can say that's a good cask. Just like traditional blenders did 200 years ago. As we continue our walk, Kevin tells me he's been digging through Glenlivet's archives to see what he could find about my bottle. My heart skips a beat. This is what I've come here to find. So we've had a, I've had a look into the, the, that 1977 Jubilee. So we found a few nuggets for you, and I've got a few things I can share with you. I'm so excited to hear that. Okay, okay. What did what, what, you find? So Robert Arthur, who was the general manager at the time, uh, so he actually became the general manager in 1952. In most likelihood, that's when the whiskey was distilled. So he started the same year, 1952. He retired in 1978, and that whiskey was released in 1977. You know, I know myself because I've been blending now for nearly 24 years and it, you go full circle, you know. So he would have been there distilling, laying down the stock and 25 years later he's, he's bottling that whiskey. So it's like, you know, that would have been a huge proud moment for him. His tenureship encompassed that entire time that whiskey was maturing. And he retired just a year after that. So, I mean, that would have been the pinnacle of his career, that release. That, that bottle would have been the absolute pinnacle. And we know from the obituaries that he was described as a, a Speyside whiskey legend. So what you have there, that bottle you've got, is the pinnacle of a man's career that was a, you know, a Speyside legend. This isn't just a bottle of scotch. It represents a whiskey legend's entire career. And by having this bottle, I'm a small part of his legacy. Kevin walks me back to the distillery lobby. I have one more question for him. Really, the only question I have left. What kind of moment, in your opinion, justifies the opening of such a bottle, and who should I drink this with? I think for you to open it, I think it must be a momentous occasion. It's much better shared, it's much better experienced, uh, and to taste And it, that whiskey will taste just as it was intended, just as Robert Arthur created that whiskey, the flavor that he intended, it will still taste the same as when he put it together. And that's, that's the great thing about whiskey. Once you, once you take it out of a cask, you put it into the bottle, the flavor's locked in there. It doesn't change. It's not like a bottle of wine that will continue to mature, stays the same as it was intended. It's a time machine. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we do. We, we, we're almost like time lords a little bit because we're, we're putting whiskeys down for 
20, 30, 40 years in the future, you know. Where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Uh, okay, guys, great to see you. Do you want to drink some whiskey? Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. These are some whiskeys that uh, Liz and I actually visited these distilleries in Scotland. It's about six time. weeks since I got back from uh, Scotland. From I'm with a group of my closest childhood friends and their partners at a cottage in Muskoka, Ontario. Remember Matt and Jeff from earlier in the episode? They're here too. See, all of us turned 40 this year. And we decided to mark the milestone with a collective birthday party. It's a rare chance for us to all get together for the weekend and without the kids. I've brought a few whiskeys to share from some of the distilleries I visited. The Glasgow Distillery, Glen Farkless, Ben Romack. All right, so Liz is going to pour some drams out for everybody. We pour the drams out, nose them, sip them, compare and contrast, just like Kirsty McCarroll taught me. So obviously there's any way you can drink whiskey is, is, is the way you should do it. The way that I was taught at... I'm looking around the room at my friends, thinking about the countless times we were together like this. Sharing Cokes as kids, chugging cheap beer as teens, and sipping Johnny Walker as grown men. In my life, the drinks have gotten better, but the company has stayed the same. I don't need to wait for some monumentally special occasion, because this is what's special. Actually, guys, I, uh, I do have one more to share. No. Really? Oh, no. Really? Oh, my God. Oh, I'm, I'm tearing up here. Who is this? Yeah. I take out my bottle of Glenlivet uh, Jubilee Reserve. So as you guys know, this little bottle here sent me on an amazing adventure. I got to see where it was made, met people who have dedicated their entire lives to making whiskey. I learned a lot about whiskey, how to really drink it, and what it means to people. And what every single distiller, blender, bartender, and scotch expert told me was that there is no right or wrong way to drink whiskey, but the best way to drink it is with people you love. So, <clears throat> I think back to the words of my uh, Uncle George when he gave me this bottle. I don't have a reason to open this. Uh, you should have it. Well, having friends in my life like you guys, that's uh, reason enough. So, that's truly something to celebrate. So let's do like the Scottish do and uh, have a toast, uh, Solangeva. I'm holding the microphone, so my wife Liz has the honor of opening the bottle. Thank you, Lizzie. She peels the foil off the seal. It's point of no return. Here comes the cork. Nope. <laughs> it broke? The cork has broken in half, wedged in the neck of the bottle. My friends, bless them, fly into rescue mode. Yeah, Someone yeah, produces yeah, yeah. a corkscrew in the hopes that we can gently extract the remainder of this wayward cork. Okay, the corkscrew is going in. <gasps> oh. The slightest touch has it's caused okay, the rest of okay. the cork to tumble into the bottle. It's okay, it is. We, got so we pour out some drams. Cork particles be damned. Slangeva. Slangeva. That is actually incredible. <laughs> Cork or no cork? Whiskey. Wow. Beautiful. I'm honestly not a really big whiskey person, and I loved it. <laughs> I mean, thank you for that, because that is a, a privilege to have that opportunity to try something like that. Thank you. You're welcome, my brother. My verdict on the special Jubilee Reserve? Exceptionally smooth, with a fruity sweetness and a wisp of smoke. 
But we never finished the bottle. We strained it and found a replacement cork. One from this century. Now it's back in my bedroom closet. I'm saving enough for two more drams. One for me and one for my Uncle George for the next time I visit him in Hong Kong. So, until we meet again, Salangeva. That's all for this week's Storylines. Today's episode was reported by me, Adrian Ma. It was produced by A.C. Rowe, who's also the show's mastermind. This episode featured music by Leroy Anderson, courtesy of Decca, Rod Stewart from Warner Brothers, and Journey, thanks to Columbia. Storylines is part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. If you like the show, please take a moment to wish us good cheer with a five-star review. Better yet, send this episode to the person in your life you'd most love to share a dram with. I'm Adrian Ma. Thanks for listening. Hey, Derek, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Adrian. I just wanted to know, have you tried the, the whiskey? I have indeed. In fact, very, very little left of it yet. So, no, I've, I've been enjoying it. I got sort of toasted pears, which is a little strange, some coconut and some milk caramel. So, yeah, I'm very nice, yeah. Sir, that is high praise uh, coming from you. So. <laughs> For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.